authority is not self-justifying. It exists only to serve a community. Authority which serves its own interests is no authority at all. It is tyranny. The Grey Star, Street Prophet. And who is the Grey Star? Wouldn't you like to know? <laughs> but really though, it's, it's me. You want to know the truth of how we got here? Well, that's why you searched me out, found this file. The world's turbulent past has made way for an uncertain present where almost anything, for good or ill, seems possible. In this place, and in this time, everyone can dream of changing the world, like you. But much more often, the world changes them first. Magic has been the driving force of global culture since time immemorial. Yetin and elves, goblins and orcs, mingle peacefully with humankind, except when they don't. Radical advances in cyber technology are erasing the gaps between the magical haves and have-nots, marking a new era for Neo-Babylon and the world around it. But the powerful are still powerful, and well, maybe you should join the movement. See, resistance isn't futile, but it is nearly always deadly. Revolution is in the air, or so it seems to me, and that's where you come in. Neo-Babylon is a city of dreams and darkness of hope and despair. What hope and whose despair depends on who you ask. So how did things get so bad? Well, for everyone but the rich, as usual. One thousand thousand selfish, brutal moves. But here's how it started. Magical power and wondrous creatures existed alongside all of us since before recorded history. Young civilizations marveled at the fantastic expressions of power they didn't fully understand. But it wasn't until 2,650 years ago that Nebuchadnezzar II of Babylon managed to harness these powers to exert his regal will on others on a large scale. By all accounts, when Nebuchadnezzar invaded Egypt, the Babylonians should have suffered defeat. But sorcerous power melted Egyptian weapons and quickened Babylonian soldiers. Egypt was taken, and Babylon held an iron grip for a millennium, conquering states, cities, and tribes in seemingly endless succession. Babylon's tyrants, backed by esoteric magi, appropriated materials, swallowed up cultures, and syncretized magical knowledge, usurping it all for themselves. Along the way, they recruited allies among the elites of the world, including many Orcish peoples in Anatolia and along the inhospitable sea. Egypt's exiles found a new home in West Africa, merging with the local populations. Alexander the Unifier, however, was not among those elite that served Babylon. Nearly three centuries after Babylonian dominance began, Alexander brought together Sparta, Athens, Macedon, and Syracuse, to form the Zephyrin Alliance. Alexander halted the march of the Babylonians at Byzantium, and he brokered peace, offering the Greeks their first respite from Babylonian hostility in centuries. With their eastern border secure, the Zephyrins under Alexander pushed west, conquering the Italic peoples, including Rome, the ogres of the Pyrenees and the Alps, and then the Iberian Peninsula, and sailing south conquered Carthage which had been founded by orc, goblin, and human colonists centuries before as well. At last, they turned north, offering their civilization and empire to the Gauls and Celts. Some accepted gladly, 
some accepted at the point of a sword. Alexander pressed as far as Lutetia. Watching this conquest creep ever closer to their borders, the Akari, that is, the non-humans, of Broceliaan extended an invitation. Alexander and a small entourage were brought to a hidden elven court deep in the forest. Hoping for allies, Alexander instead emerged from the forest days later with a mysterious illness. His death, shortly thereafter, prompted his warriors to burn the forest, forcing many more Akari into the world of humans. The scarred land where Broceliaan Forest once stood became the boundary between the Zephyran Empire and the northern tribes for centuries to follow. Some Akari wandered until they found refuge among their various kin in the wide world. Many dwarfs, for example, drifted south, settling between the Mediterranean Sea and the Atlantic coast. Others plotted attacks against Zephyran cities, but some powerful elf refugees made their way to Babylon with deep magical secrets. 1,200 years after it began, Babylon's supremacy came to an unexpected end. According to the legends, Enlil and the Anunnaki caused a great flood, sinking the entire fertile crescent from Babylon to the Mediterranean. It is said that Enlil, who was previously lord of the gods, gathered his rogue demon gods called Anunnaki and rebelled against Marduk, who had replaced him, by striking at Marduk's favored. The Stormlord's destruction was so complete that the land that once gave birth to civilization now lay fully submerged beneath the newly formed Rehoff Sea. This event became known as the Shattering. The storms scattered the people of Babylon into the wider world, bearing their culture and beliefs to all corners of the Old World. For another thousand years, history moved ahead. Lutetia moved beyond its wars with the Akari and flourished as a place of beauty, art, and diversity. Yangguo to the east grew into a power to be reckoned with. On the other side of the world, a meeting of cultures resulted in the sharing of secrets of physical magic and traditions of honor and discipline. Thus were the Yojin born, disciples capable of using the magic within themselves to accomplish sublime feats. Many old enemies eventually found common cause, united under the banner of Babylonian religion, which spread wide despite Babylon's fall. Its pantheism absorbed and syncretized the beliefs of many nations and peoples. In the names of the gods, Chosen called down powers that were like the arcane, but accomplished different purposes. And while Babylon's culture spread, it seemed Babylon's collection of magical knowledge was lost forever. Senekemet, a nation founded by the Egyptian exiles and their allies long before, spread across much of North and West Africa. It was the first to welcome visitors from across the sea. The expanding Maya, versed in water magics, took to maritime trade, pushed off their east coast led by visions into the Atlantic Ocean, making first contact. Senekemet, believing these Mayans to live on legendary Atlantis, made an expedition across the sea to see these new people for themselves meeting with Jakabu and Maya across the sea. Senecomitian historians rejected this new land as the Atlantis discussed by their ancient prophets, but called this new continent Atlantica in homage. Goblins and dwarfs who had settled in Senecomit found distant cousins of theirs in southern Atlantica, and many settled in the new world, finding more permanent and lasting homes there. As westward expansion across the Atlantic was discussed in the city-states of Europa, which had succeeded Alexander's empire, Influential families and enterprising governments began funding expeditions across the sea. 
the continent of Azor, between the old world and the new, was discovered. The native people there are mixed Akari and human tribes, and the humans, to my mind, seemed overly eager to accept the new foreigners as patrons and friends. Many years later, arcane historians suggest Azor was and is the ancient land of Atlantis, but others speculated that Azor was recent, rising from the seafloor as an equal and opposite reaction to the shattering of old Babylon. Leaders from across the world were invited to join in creating multicultural settlements in order to foster peace with the native peoples and enhance economies through trade. In an unprecedented effort of unity, nations came together founding a city called Neo-Babylon on Azor's east coast. Neo-Babylon resurrected the spirit of old Babylon, like a phoenix from the ashes, so they said. A place where people were people and where laws provided freedom and protection for all. This new city adopted a council, a group of 60, representing 12 founding populations and many internal factions. This council was called the Ukim, and they rule Neo-Babylon to this day. Trade grew quickly. Azor's native populations were scammed, stolen from, or bullied out of the way so Neo-Babylon could expand its extra urban control. The founding of the great city marked the beginning of a new calendar, which we now know as Neo-Babylonian Reckoning. This was 450 years ago. Just over 200 years after Neo-Babylon's founding, the Old World plunged into war. The Duendes, based in Spain, rose to power. Not every dwarf, orc, goblin, and or Spaniard was aligned with them, but such was their base of power, and they became strong in anti-human and anti-elf sentiment. They swept through western European coasts and invaded northern Azor. Many of their less dedicated deserted during the campaign on Azor, refusing to fight any longer. Large numbers ended up settling in Akapeanya on the north end of Neo-Babylon's territory. The generals of the Duendes were defeated at the Battle of Pixifire, and the Treaty of Lutetia was signed. But 60 years later, Lutetia was conquered by a resurgent Duendes army. Many elves fled the destruction and occupation, becoming refugees in Azor settling on the western outskirts of Neo-Babylon, calling their new home Le Sanctuaire. Some rebels refused to leave, and with allies, they liberated the city, promoting in 289 the magical construction of the Oak Plateau, which became a worldwide symbol of Lutetia. On June 6, 289 by Neo-Babylonian Reckoning, the tide lands that surrounded Neo-Babylon's great ziggurat were inundated. While flooding was not unusual for the time, the Ukim had been using magic to direct tides and keep the sea from encroaching into the city. But something went wrong, something failed, and the massive damage to Neo-Babylonian infrastructure caused the Ukim Council to make a change rather than simply rebuild. They mandated new buildings be of stone or brick or metal to prevent water damage to lesser materials and decreed the street level be raised, in many cases as much as 50 cubits. As the ziggurat grew, more and more of the old undercity was replaced with pillars and foundations. Those who continued to live there were forced to either dig beneath the rising overcity or spread out. Seeing an opportunity, the Ukim declared all debtors, new immigrants and criminals remain in the undercity to work off debts and increase their station. As these struggled to better their lives, the bar for admission to the overcity continued to ascend. Soon, the Undercity grew deeper and wider to accommodate the influx of workers from around the world. 
Housing was built, and companies moved in to take advantage of the captive workers. Over time, the Undercity began to function as one large company town, where the citizens of the Undercity work for those above, living in crumbling homes and tenements. Technology and resources trickled downwards, but just enough to keep them consuming, in debt, and as productive as possible. Meanwhile, gangs with all sorts of intentions roam the streets almost at will. I can't be certain, but I believe this flooding wasn't just about infrastructure. It was the crack in the armor of the Ukim. I believe they've been hoarding magic and somehow using more of it than could be sustained. How they learned such magic is anyone's guess, but perhaps they discovered some of what ancient Babylonian magi knew. But what I can say is that Neo-Babylon was founded as an archonocracy. Those with powerful magic ruled the rest. But I think the flood showed them that they were vulnerable. After the flood, the infrastructure wasn't the only thing that shifted. Technology, which had once been so tightly under the thumb of the powerful, began to move ahead rapidly. I believe the world's leaders, that is, those with the most powerful magic, had been hoarding and holding technology down for thousands of years. If they held all the power, they were unstoppable. But since that time, things have been changing faster than their ability to rule effectively. The Flood, I believe, split their focus between their personal interests and their duty to the people. And the people suffered. Afterwards, the Ukim began striking deals with powerful guilds and allowing new technologies to develop under their watchful eye. This would have unforeseen consequences for Neo-Babylon's future. The more recent history of the world, that is, the last 200 years, is dark and bloody, nothing new there, and leads directly to where we are now. The wars of scars and the fairy wars, along with where we find ourselves today, we'll discuss all that in the next file, if you can find it.